good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Cody Cuff, Henny Cutter, Because all the hippies are trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victors. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and I'm your host, Wakanjahade. Hey, Kadagita, all my friends and relatives in four directions, you are listening to Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. We discuss local and national Native news and events, and today we have a really awesome uh, lady coming on, Sandy White, Whitehawk, who uh, I've met many years. I, being an adoptee, and there's a documentary about her uh, called Blood Memory, but we also she just wrote a book, and so we're going to discuss that too. Uh, before we do that, we're going to have the Lieutenant Governor uh, do a quick update for us, and um, I'm here with Zoe, and Zoe, we uh, have another shooting on our hands here in Turtle Island. Yeah, yeah, really intense. Um, I'm just reading about it now. I was driving all day, so I didn't even know what happened, but... Um looks looks horrible i mean there are children that have been murdered um along with a couple of school officials i believe yeah yeah it's amazing zoe and uh, you know we don't want to get deep in the woods but a lot of people have talked about it but we have to have to mention it for sure uh me being a former school teacher that um you know the republicans want to save the children from uh trans uh, gay people, mm-hmm. BIPOC people, they don't want to want their children to learn anything about their history because it might be bad for their psyche uh, to know that uh, white people slaughtered 50 million people across Turtle Island. Um, but yet uh, they can't do anything about these guns. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, who's, who goes hunting with an assault rifle? I want to know that right now. Right, exactly. And I mean, this is, this is really complicated, you know, I mean, it's complicated, and it's not right, like it should be um, pretty clear cut that we need better gun, gun law regulation, um, especially when it comes to our children, you know, but this was a private Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and they're saying that the person that the, you know, the gun, the gun woman was a former student. Um, but I believe she was around 28 years old. So an adult, which I think is, um, you know, lately it's been, we've seen a lot of, you know, we've seen a lot of students, um, engage in this type of violence against each other and and to see an adult do it is just, it's horrible. And it's really just takes us back to like Sandy Hook. I mean, I feel like that was, that should have been the end, right? Like we should have woken up and and really pass some really solid something, regulation, I don't know. If you care about children, like the Republicans are trying to protect children from uh, transgenders, uh, uh, all these ridiculous things that I know your generation, even the generation, my generation, uh, thinks is ridiculous. And uh, people are people, and, uh, you know, we know as Natives... uh, Two-spirit, which means, Mm -hmm. you know, they walk in two worlds, uh, were so important to uh, Native communities. And along with medicine men, they were the first uh, to be killed by uh, these so-called settlers. But let's not get into those deep woods right now. And what we should probably do right now, Zoe, is uh, get an update from the lieutenant governor prior to this. So she had no warning about this happening, but she's going to give us an update on what's happening at the Capitol. So let's uh, take a listen to uh, Minnesota Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. Anine, this is Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, and I'm joining Native Roots Radio with an update from the Walls Flanagan administration. 
I am incredibly proud of the One Minnesota budget we've put together, the budget that I've worked towards my entire life, a budget that invests in centering children and families, expanding economic security, protecting health and safety, and strengthening infrastructure and communities across the state. And with the updated February forecast, we have an opportunity to revisit some of the important proposals and investments and go bigger. This week, Governor Walls and I unveiled our revised budget proposal with an additional $1.5 billion in investments. Our revised budget includes increased investments in public safety. The governor and I travel across the state hearing from mayors, police chiefs, fire chiefs about what they needed to keep Minnesotans safe. Together, we crafted a $300 million plan that would fund every police and fire department in the state. Our revised budget nearly doubles that, bringing it to over half a billion dollars. And because we know that local government's needs don't stop there, we're increasing our investment in local government aid. We're also expanding our proposal to address opioids and addiction by $160 million for a total of $220 million. This includes creating grants for overdose and violence prevention, funding youth mental health and substance use disorder treatment, supporting naloxone administration training and supplies, and establishing up to 15 safe recovery sites across Minnesota. We're increasing the funding available for replacing lead service lines to help communities across the state afford costly updates to increase safety. And we're increasing investments in Minnesota's higher education system to continue growing a talented and educated workforce right here at home. And it's because of the continued hard work and economic resilience of Minnesota workers and families that we're able to include these increased investments. At the core, our revised budget proposals bolster our budget's ability to support safe and vibrant communities in every part of the state. We also had an incredibly powerful signing ceremony for a piece of legislation that is deeply personal to me, universal school meals. Nearly all of us have spent cumulative hours in our school cafeterias, spending time with our friends, catching up on homework, and eating a hot meal before we head back to class. But for too many of our young people, the school cafeteria has been a place of shame and stigma. For our students with different colored lunch tickets, for our students with lunch debt, our students who skip meals. Hunger is often invisible. It looks like a distraction or tiredness or disinterest. It can be easy to miss the students who are falling behind because they're trying to learn on an empty stomach. But we know that one in six children go hungry in Minnesota and that one in four food insecure children don't qualify for financial help with school meals. So to our decision makers who believe they've never met someone who has experienced uh, hunger, hi, my name is Peggy Flanagan and I was one of six in Minnesotans to experience hunger. I am one of the children who grew up with a different color lunch ticket because my family utilized free and reduced price lunch. What used to be then called food stamps back in the day, right, now known as SNAP, we used to put food on the table. And even with that assistance, there were nights where I ate dinner and my mom would say that she simply wasn't hungry. And it wasn't until I was an adult and I was a mom that I realized that she wasn't telling the truth. She was trying to protect me from the reality of our food insecurity, that she was hungry. By providing free breakfast and lunch to all students, we are removing barriers and removing stigma in the lunchroom. We are helping family pocketbooks, especially for those one in four who don't qualify for financial assistance with school meals. We're leading with our values that no child should go hungry for any reason ever, period. This is an investment in the well-being of our children, as well as an investment in their academic success. I am so grateful to everyone who has worked hard to get this across the finish line and support our young Minnesotans across the state. So stay tuned as we continue to work hard to pass transformational policies that improve the lives of all Minnesotans, especially our littlest Minnesotans. Jimmy Gwetch, Pina Gigi, and back to you. Hey, thank you, Lieutenant Governor. Uh, always great to have an update on, and such a, a good update on a, such a, a sour day with uh, what's happening, Zoe, with the shootings. Um, so we we put our prayers out to the family, and mm-hmm. again, Pini Gigi to Lieutenant Governor. Yeah, miigwech to Peggy, and you know our our hearts go out with all the families um, who lost people today. You know. Um, definitely be putting some tobacco down for them too. 
good one. Hey, you're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and up next, Sandy Whitehawk. Uh, we'll be talking about her journey as an adoptee and a documentary and uh, the book she just wrote about it. So we're excited to have her on. We'll be right back after this short break. Please, please stay with us. The Senior Linkage Line is a free statewide service of the Minnesota Board on Aging in partnership with Trellis. I have volunteered with seniors nearly 15 years, working alongside their compassionate team. I am honored to partner with Trellis as we help our elders find housing, compare costs of Medicare prescriptions, and learn how to avoid fraud and scams targeting seniors. We help our elders optimize well-being as they age, and we can help you too. Reach out today at trellisconnects.org. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Why must the world be so cold? They've gone against what was told. Thinking rape is cool? Think about it. They think it's not wrong? Violence against women? The rape? The abuse? The emotional? Physical? They all hold the hate. Think about it. Is it right or wrong? What attracts you? I'm not saying no names, but you laugh. Talk about it like nothing is wrong? Think about it. They all hold the hate? Gotta stop the violence. Stop the hate? Think about it. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Boost your immunity and help protect your community. COVID-19 is still here, but it's not too late to get your booster. Staying up to date with vaccines can help build protection that has decreased since your last shot and provide better protection against newer variants. Boosters are an important part of protecting yourself from getting seriously ill from COVID-19. To learn more and schedule your appointment, visit ramseycounty.us slash COVID vaccine. RamseyCounty.us slash COVID vaccine. This is uh, Leonard Peltier. I am in uh, Coleman 1, U.S. Penitentiary, and I'm listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This segment of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Hey, thank you, Zoe. We are here with Sandy, and Sandy, you're on uh, mute right now. Sandy Whitehawk, who uh, uh, was in the documentary Blood Memory, and, and she just wrote a book, too. And Sandy, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're a little under the weather, but... Uh, you know, I really appreciate you and all you've done. And as a, an adoptee myself, all the all the work you've done and and putting out all this good information to our allies and to our native community. Well, thank you, Robert. <clears throat> I know I, I told George. I said I got one more thing to do today. And he goes, "What?" I go, "Yeah, it's for Robert though. We can do. <laughs> we'll do anything." <laughs> As I have, I've, I think it's so awesome that you have this radio time or stream time, whatever they call it today. And um, yeah, my voice is on its last leg, but and I'm really kind of toasted. But I am really happy to be here. Thank you for asking me. You can ask me anytime. Yeah, I appreciate it. So you just wrote a book here. Can you tell our audience uh, a little bit about yeah. it and the title? I just sat down one night and wrote it. <laughs> oh, you can help me with mine then. Oh, <laughs> it took oh, quite a few years. But, um, it sounds funny when I've heard people say that you just wrote a book. I go, yeah, I just sat down and two days it was out. Here it is. <laughs> a child of Indian race. And we're on, on the radio all over, uh, Turtle Island here. So I'm going to read that a child of Indian race, a story of return. And uh, yes. <laughs> that is basically your life story, correct? It is. I um, it's so str- interesting because in two, this is how long it took me to write this. In two thousand and nine, I went in in two thousand and eight, but I was in the hospital 
for five months from 2008 to 2009. And while I was in there, a journalist contacted me and she said, um, have you ever thought of writing your story? And I was in a um, extended care, so I was better in many ways, but not well enough to not be monitored. And I said, um, well, actually, I got some stuff stuffed away because one other journalist prior to her had encouraged me. So I had just written a few things that didn't really have. But then when I went and looked at it, I had a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's so important, Sandy, uh, for people, you know, to write their story. And I heard from um, writers and editors saying that somebody needs to hear that your story. And especially of what you've done in, in your leadership with uh, adoptees and also with uh, the attack on ICWA that's happening here. Uh, it's really important to uh, to get this out in the forefront again. Yeah, it, um, so it's it's um, it, the last part was the hardest to write because it hadn't happened yet. So I couldn't really it hadn't like all come together because I wrote it in three parts: truth, healing, and reconciliation. And when I started my work around gathering adoptees together to share their lived experience with those who make decisions about child removal, judges, lawyers, social workers, mental health workers. I wanted them to hear, hear what it was really like after we were placed in these homes because I was not hearing hardly any stories of love, kindness, I was hearing stories of abuse, neglect, and a lot of it. And then aside from that, so much psychological pain of not understanding who we are as an Indian person. We, we can act. We can mimic white behavior. We can mimic all the stuff in and around how moving in and around white society. But we're never white, and we never fully can settle into that because we're just not and it wears on us because we it don't really, know what go ahead you are, you are absolutely right uh, it really does wear on us and i know as an adoptee i always had that kind of gut feeling when people would talk to me uh with my white parents that uh matter of fact i don't know if i ever told you this but one of my aunts uh and introduced me as bob and mary's adopted son yeah, and, you know, put that label on me. It's like, whoa, that was okay. <laughs> always, always, so often separating us. It's a lifetime of separation. We, if we, if some of the, um, if some of the adoptees have bio relative, bio siblings, um, <clears throat> they will always hear, oh, you know, this one looks just like his uncle John. Yeah, and this one even laughs just like her aunt Betty. Oh my God, you should hear the two of them as the same. And they'll go on and on because it's fun mm -hmm. to see that genetic, um, you know, thing in the next generation. Well, we never hear that, right? It's another psychological separation. Well, it's funny. They always told me I stood stood like Uncle Marty, which I'd never met and who passed on like in the late 80s. And I was like, oh, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Exactly. My uncles told me that I reminded them of uh, our aunt, my Aunt Gladys. After I met them, we were visiting one time and I was just going off and talking. My ADD had clicked in. I was just chatting away. <laughs> And they were laughing at me, and I mean, not in a mean way at all. You know, just kind of oh. getting a kick out of me, I think, and kind of like going, "Whoa, we got a live one here." <laughs> but anyway, um, the, all of a sudden, they turned to each other and started talking in Lakota, and then um, I said, "What? What?" And, and um, they go, "Oh, we're just saying how much you remind us of your aunt Gladys." And I go, "Oh yeah, how, how so?" And they go, "She's really spacey." 
okay, I belong. Well, another one too is a, a physical characteristic for me. They go, "Oh, you have big ears, like <laughs> Uncle Marty too." <laughs> It's like, oh, I better grow my hair. <laughs> so even <clears throat> so, our family, <clears throat> who has wondered about us all those years, mm-hmm. finally get to see us, and they see their family in us. So it's healing for them as well to to fill that gap of wondering where we've been, how we were treated, um, and all of that. So I um, yeah, it's it's a lot. So. When I um, wanted to, I wanted social workers to hear that adoption goes against basic child development. Hmm. We need the mirroring of our relatives. That's one of the stages of growth. You know, if you're in Psych 101 or developmental psych, that's like they talk about that the first half of the semester. The importance of of your um, image, and yet it goes against. So we have a, still a lot of work to do around that area of um, focusing on child preservation and not focusing on how do we get this child a home to live in. Because now that with our study as well that we've done, we've proven in that that um, <clears throat> adoption is not a guaranteed safe option for placement. You know, we just, we cannot guarantee that they'll be any safer in the home we're placing them in than than where they were. You know, we're going to take a break here and we're only going to make you suffer another uh, quick segment. Sandy, I really appreciate you coming on. But I have, I have, uh, I remember asking you years ago when Blood Memory first came out, and we were talking about the mother and the the parent um, that was, you know, because we have this epidemic here in big time in Minnesota about foster care and foster homes, too. Um, what can we do to help the mother? And, and I know you know what you said to me, and I repeat it all the time, and that's give them the money that you would give to these foster parents and you would see things really, really change. So Sandy, I really appreciate you being on. I want to talk about a little bit more about the book and we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, Really appreciate you being on. You're listening to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake and we'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. J&S Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. Dad, this is fun. I didn't think I liked kayaking. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but I think it's time to head back in. Okay. Can we come back? Sure. Hey, be careful getting out of the boat. It's a kayak, Dad. <laughs> I'm going to return the kayak. Can we walk home? How about a taxi? It's a short fare from your neighborhood to your naturehood. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a neighborhood park or green space near you. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Forest Service. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Unwanted sexting or photos, inappropriate jokes, even tickling or wrestling can feel like a violation. Catcalling, cornering, or groping, getting them drunk or high for sex, recording sexual acts without permission, hurting someone because of their sexual orientation, raping a family member, a child, a date, a friend, a stranger, purchasing a human being for sex. You make the choice every single time. Sexual violence is many things. Make a choice. Do not do it. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. 
Boost your immunity and help protect your community. COVID-19 is still here, but it's not too late to get your booster. Staying up to date with vaccines can help build protection that has decreased since your last shot and provide better protection against newer variants. Boosters are an important part of protecting yourself from getting seriously ill from COVID-19. To learn more and schedule your appointment, visit ramseycounty.us slash COVID vaccine. ramseycounty.us slash COVID vaccine. Hi, this is Desi Doyen of the Green News Report and the Bradcast. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hi, this is Ken Hakeland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our live call-in talk show airing every Saturday from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights you need to know to live and age well. Each week, we talk with guests who provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and self-care for caregivers, and help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one on AM 950 for Living Healthy and Aging Well. This is why you work so hard to pay the mortgage. Because home is more than four walls and a roof. It's that porch swing on a summer evening. It's everybody over for Sunday dinner. And your family sleeping in their own beds at night. Making home affordable is a free government resource that can make paying the mortgage easier. Call 888-995-HOPE or visit makinghomeaffordable.gov. Good night, Mama. This is why. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. With a look at your AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lilia. Cloudy tonight with a low of 19, then partial sunshine on Tuesday with a high of 37. There's no better time than now to experience the new Maggie's Lounge at Crooner's Supper Club. Serving up light fare and cocktails, no concert ticket is required. Crooner's Supper Club, just north of 694 off Highway 65 in Fridley. Croonersmn.com Hi, this is Representative Sharice Davids from Kansas. I'm Ho-Chunk, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Native American Community Clinic, honoring health and tradition. Awesome. Hey, we have Sandy uh, Whitehog uh, on tonight. Uh, she was in the documentary Blood Memory and has a book that just came out. And Sandy... Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the book and how important, not important, but how much of a, a conversational piece uh, and uh, your last paragraph of your of your uh, book is. Do you mind, uh, we talked a little bit about this, maybe reading it? Sure. Oh, oh let me first say that <clears throat> the book, um, people, like my niece, when she started reading it, said, I just finished the first three chapters. It's so sad. <clears throat> and I always say, keep reading. There's three <laughs> sections, truth, healing, reconciliation. <clears throat> so it really is about how we can reach out to our relatives, how we can use our lived experience to educate on adoption and foster care. But also the real our strong focus is our relatives still looking to come home. Mm-hmm. As you read this book, there is an adoptee sitting in fear, but longing to look for their Indian family. An Indian mother is needlessly losing permanent custody of her child to adoption. Someone is on a tribal Facebook page asking about relatives. Someone is sending me an email asking where to start looking for their Indian family. A grandparent is staring out a window, wondering about their grandchild. Wondering who she looks like. Is she safe? Praying to get to see her before leaving this realm. And through their prayers and prayers of those in ceremony, we find our way. Wachoachage, Aki Ungupi, generation after generation, we are coming home. Um, yeah. You know, um, when I contacted my birth mother, uh, you know, she was 15. And a lot of trauma that she never really dealt with. And it was really an uncomfortable conversation. And we were leaving after talking to her for a whole hour, wondering if we would ever talk to her again. And what she said was, a week before I got your letter, I was looking out my back window and and praying to God that I would meet you one day before I die. 
So that made it all better. Yes. See, when we come home, that pain that they never talked with anyone about, we're a mirror of that. And then we have our own pain as well. So there's a lot of pain. And nobody has written or talked about how do we uh, mend that and heal that, which has been been my work. Yes, it is. And uh, it's amazing. Um, Where can somebody pick up this book? And I just want to, I noticed I didn't mention the title. It's A Child of the Indian Race, A Story of Return by Sandy Whitehawk. Um, They can get it in many, at the Birchbark bookstore, order it online on Amazon. It's not even 20 bucks. Eighteen ninety five, man. <laughs> right on, and I I can swing by and get you an autograph for you too if you get one. That'd be awesome. Get me for coffee, and I'll sign it. Right it's on. even got pictures. Oh, cool! <laughs> That's cool. Well, yeah, Minnesota. I, I just want to shout out to Minnesota Historical Press is mm-hmm. what who published it. So I really appreciate that they took interest in this and saw the importance of it and um, took me under their wing and edited it and, and published it. You know, one of the, one of the most amazing podcasts I ever heard, and I've turned it on to everyone. And I don't know if you ever heard that, but finding Cleo, did you hear, ever hear that? It's an award-winning uh, 10 part uh, documentary up in Canada. And the basic story is, all this lady's kids were taken away from her. And the oh. oldest son, who was eight years old, said that he would come back for his sister, Cleo. And she was adopted out in New York, and there was all the, and she had died at 13, and there was all these, all these things like she got killed hitchhiking trying to come back because a lot of the adoptees from Canada were adopted out in the United States. Yeah. But it's an amazing uh, documentary. And, uh, you know, and to speak of, uh, you know, audio documentary. So if you're just uh, into exercise sure. and whatever, it's something good to listen to. <laughs> but uh, where can we get your documentary? Because that would be something great to sell in our store, too. Right. They can go to um, online. It's bloodmemorydoc.com. Yeah, and uh, that that uh, we won't get deep in this right now, but we are fighting with ICWA, and uh, you know to keep ICWA and supporting ICWA. But uh, a lot of uh, that blood memory has to do with uh, uh, a native person who was a lawyer that was kind of against uh, ICWA, and it was really bizarre. But it was really you could kind of see that he was like kind of butthurt that he couldn't get his kids enrolled. It seemed like the underlying jealousy kind of thing going through the whole documentary with him. He, um, and he's part of the team in the Supreme court case as well. You're kidding. No, no, no. He has, his goal is to do this. Right. See, now my book is called child of the Indian race. The reason that it's worded that way. And in italics is that's how I'm referred to in my, Adoption papers. Oh, wow. Um, child is a set, said child is a child of the Indian race. And so it's kind of the timing of it's interesting because race, ICWA is not a race-based law. The word uh, race isn't even in the law. Right. Uh, and um, this now can be a top, uh, we can always use the title to say, this is completely wrong. They should have never referred to me in this way. If they yeah. were going to say anything, they needed to say, uh, said child is a an enrolled member, because I was enrolled already at 18 months old, is an enrolled member of the Rosebud Sioux tribe. And so um, anyway, wow. just a little side thing about the na- the title. And um, you'll that's all in my book. My pictures of my adoption records and the papers and all of that. You know, in the in the the, the story of return and how you've uh, had these powwows over the years from people all over Turtle Island and you know Canada and the United States come to these, yeah, and, and celebrate in a good way uh, returning. 
returning home. Yep, and being welcomed by a community that they don't live in, but our community doesn't know any kind of boundaries whatsoever. So when our Indian community here, after that ceremony and everyone is brought in to <clears throat> shake hands and hug, you know, they say, welcome home, welcome home. And so many adoptees have had such, you know, profound healing or started their healing process from there, finally being acknowledged and recognized. And um, it's just been incredible. And so we haven't had it because of COVID for two years, but we're planning it this year. Oh, I'd like to help uh, with that planning. Um, when oh, are you? <laughs> when are you? When are you thinking? Um, well, at first we thought September. The reason we've always had it in November is that's mm -hmm. Adoption Awareness Month. Right. Well, we don't have to stay there, but people have been used to that for seventeen years. Yeah. We've had it, <laughs> but um, I'll put you in our next email streams of the two other planners and you can come and, and when you are able and uh, you can help help with our planning yeah that's awesome and i would vote for november because i don't know i think uh the third week of september is my uh general counsel for ho-chunk and i gotta be there just yes because, you do you know, i'm a big shot now <laughs> i love that about you i Isn't love that you're <laughs> and, it's, and I appreciate all your uh, help, too, uh, when I ran a couple of years ago. It's already been, uh, in July, it'll be two years that I'm a representative of Ho-Chunk Nation. That's crazy. You know, somebody asked me about you because they didn't know you. They said, well, I don't know him. Do you know? And you seem to know him. I go, yep. I'm going to tell you something. An adoptee <clears throat> knows what it's like to live without culture. He will fight for anything that uh, we need to keep and maintain and we'll do it without you'll be fearless and um because we do know what's like we know how harmful that is we know it hurts mm -hmm. it leaves a scar a deep deep scar so whatever decisions need to be made for uh our maintaining our identity uh you're on it you got a strong heart i appreciate Robert, that and I should uh, tell you in uh, a text what I've been working on because it kind of does fit in that, but I don't want to really get into it here. But, uh, you know, in the background here, and it has to do with Minnesota and Ho-Chunk and, uh, and housing and a lot of fun things. So I appreciate those words because uh, I didn't know that, but that is what I've been doing. <laughs> exactly. Yep. I didn't know um, either. I just... I'm a big mouth sometimes, and I just said, "Hey, let me tell you what I want to know." What I want you to. Know. Yeah. So. Well, and yeah. that's that's our gift because we do know we do know uh, we are kind of from both both worlds. Mm -hmm. We we do know, and we do know what what possibly the boundaries that maybe some of our relatives that have been going through trauma all their life in different ways that we can help in different ways too. Exactly. We did get, and we're like incredible negotiators because we've had to do that for a lifetime. And we had to negotiate something that wasn't ours and wasn't comfortable for a lifetime. And when we can heal and balance that within our value system as native people, you know, then we can use that gift. We're kind of bilingual that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, I really feel, and this is a general statement. You can help me out, Sandy, but I really feel like all the adoptees that I've really ever, uh, had any kind of friendship or relationship with is are very, very sensitive and, and in a good way, they can feel yeah. other people's pain because of all of what we've gone through. Exactly. Yep. I agree. Yeah, so we're all a bunch of crybabies. No. <laughs> <laughs> and let us remember. Let us remember that our tears are our strength. Deep, right. deep, powerful strength. And um, man, I did cry though for probably the first couple years a lot. Um, do we have time for a story? Yes, we got a minute. Uh, Sandy, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but if you want to talk about it uh, and then we'll let you go in the in the last segment. 
I'll tell you a tear a tear story. I'll try to be really fast. Okay. The very the first time I was at an Indian AA meeting, I didn't know any of the people, and it was up in a whole chunk territory somewhere. I can't remember where. This is early nineties. It comes to me, and I realize I just start saying, "Hi, my name is Sandy. I'm an alcoholic." I just reunited with my family, and within three sentences, I'm bawling, literally bawling, and yeah. I can't stop. And two things: I'm in an AA meeting, so I know I'm okay. But it was a, you know, somebody brought sage over, and this is what happens when we put one foot in the other and begin our healing. There had been a conference, and then we, I didn't know about this conference. We had just, at the last minute, heard about this Indian AA meeting. Well, because it was a conference. There are people from all over there. Over in the corner of the room, this Lakota man stands up. He says, sister, what you're experiencing right now is grief. I'm going to sing a song. And he sang this beautiful song. This wow. story is in the longer story is in the book. But it was the beginning of my understanding that I didn't need to be ashamed of my tears because I was then told and talked to about what our tears were purification and strengthening and sacred and that um, they are a gift. Yeah. I got, I became grateful, but it's hard to cry because it reminds you when you cried alone all those years. Wow. Wow. That was a good story. Thank you so much, Sandy Whitehawk, uh, the author of a child of the Indian race, a story of return that you can get from Birch Park Books or Amazon.com. Thank you, Peeny Gigi, so, so much for coming on. And I'll get you on when your voice is better. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, right. Thank you. Peeny Gigi, thank you. Hey, we'll be right back. You're listening to Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm awake. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's, Let's live, live and, and let howl. howl. Judge Janet Protasewicz is running to provide you with the justice you deserve. For years, Judge Janet has supported the youth and underrepresented communities. Judge Janet has strong values for public education and believes in setting our communities up for success. Judge Janet believes that Native rights are sovereign rights. Judge Janet understands the importance of issues such as missing and murdered Indigenous women, treaty rights, and hunting and gathering. Unlike her opponent... Judge Janet not only talks the talk, but walks the walk. Judge Janet knows the impact that our courts have on our communities, and she will bring integrity and fairness to the court. Judge Janet Protasewicz will fight for us. Let's fight for them. Make a plan to vote by April 4th. Find your polling place at vote.wisdoms.org. That's vote.wisdoms.org. Vote.wisdoms.org backslash ev. Paid for by the Democratic Party of Wisconsin as an in-kind to Janet for Justice. So, who's going to do what? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Emergency supply kits? Not packed. What about blankets? We have an old towel. Cell phones? May not work. Emergency water? Not a drop. Perfect. We all know where we're meeting if we're separated. The library! On Jones House. The bus stop. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Great. It sounds like we don't have a plan. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov slash kids for tips and information. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Ritz Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Howl! 
<laughs> Good one, Zoe. Hey, Zoe, uh, wow, I could have talked to Sandy for a long time. Her voice doesn't normally sound that way, so she really was <laughs> a, a trooper to come on today, and uh, I appreciate her. Zoe, I want to read the uh, kind of the bio of the book and about Sandy real quick. And, I, I you know, sometimes when, when we have people on, Zoe, we know we kind of – uh, jump into a middle of a conversation we might have had uh, a couple months ago, and then our listening audience is like, "Oh, what, what's going on here?" So I want to <laughs> read a little bit about her and her book, and um, uh, kind of from the the bio the, of the book, it's uh, it says that as an adoptee reconnects with the Lakota family and culture she was born into, and nurtures a new tradition that helps others to do the same. In 1950s, when Sandy Whitehawk was a toddler, she was taken from her Lakota family on the Rosebud Indian Reservation in South Dakota. Her adoption papers identified her as a child of Indian race, and her adoptive mother never let her forget it, telling her she was unwanted and shaming her for being Indian. Whitehawk medicated her traumas with drugs and alcohol, and at age 28, she gained sobriety and reconnected with her birth relatives. As she learned what it means to be Lakota, she also learned that thousands of Native adoptees shared her experience. Left to negative racial uh, culture complexities as a child with no way to understand what has happened to them. Mentored by a respected elder, Whitehawk began to work with relatives who also had been separated by adoption and foster care, taken away from their families and communities, fighting through her feelings and inadequacy. Oh my God, I can't read. Feelings of inadequacy. She accepted that she could use her voice as an advocate. Ultimate White Hawk founded the First Nations Reparation Institute, an organization that addresses the post-adoption issues of Native American individuals, families, and communities. White Hawk lectures and presents widely on issues around adoption, and she exposes the myth that adoption is a path uh, uh, to protecting unwanted children for unfit mothers, offering a child a better chance of life. Rather, adoption, particularly a transcendental opera adoption is layered in complexities. A Child of Indian Race by Sandy Whitehawk. Uh, just an amazing uh, person, Zoe. Yeah, really incredible. I mean, she's done so much for the community um, all across Turtle Island, like you were talking about with her wiping of the tears ceremony. Mm -hmm. um, she's just done such incredible work. And she, you know, she also is the... Um, the founder too of oh my gosh I get the name right. Um, the First Nations First Repatriations Institute, yeah, right, right, yeah, and that's amazing. And uh, she has a powwow once a year. She didn't have it during COVID, but people come from all over the country in Canada to reconnect. And me. Uh, uh, as an adoptee, uh, really zoned in on uh, people. For the most part, everyone was very welcoming. Um, you always have to be careful, though, because uh, our community sees people that, you know, maybe in their um, Ancestry.com say they're Indian and they come to a powwow, take a selfie, and then you never see them again. <laughs> you know <laughs> yep. you know what I'm saying? Yep. And yeah, so, it's definitely becoming more commonplace too. I've, I don't know if you've seen those ads on TV, even the Ancestry.com ads. That was funny. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but it, it's an amazing uh, uh, thing that uh, if you if I gave effort to join the community and the community came back and they saw me saw me as somebody that shows up that's around. Um, and really responds and respects the community. One of the first things I did when I was a teacher, Zoe, was um, I asked for an all-Native homeroom. Um, so mm. our kids had a place to land um, for whatever reason, you know, they had support from the morning, very beginning of the morning and on, and it was uh, amazing. I taught at a school that had a 125 uh, to 200 Native Americans, uh, 
through nine through twelve, which is a small amount with the school being two thousand, but you still needed to support them, and it was great that uh, administration supported that for me. All they really had to do is get the counselors on board, and they were all about it, um, and move a few things around. And I, and I had a homeroom uh, with Native Americans, and then the other Native American teachers jumped on, and then I was kind of pushed into um, having just a freshman, and at first it was like, oh, geez. And then after, <laughs> and then thinking about it, I'm going, well, I'll know these students for all four years. That's a great thing to get them right from the beginning and have them know, which hopefully they did know that I really support them. They needed to come smudge. If they needed a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I had all that <laughs> stuff there. And, you know, you're not that far away uh, in a lot of respects from high school, but that's really important to have some sort of support or some. Some people um, to call your own, whether you're a band geek or a theater geek, uh, mm -hmm. you know, or a native geek. <laughs> yeah, and high school is not easy for native kids, you know, especially, I think. Um, yeah, I was just reminiscing with my sister the other day about high school, too, because, you know, she spent, we spent some of the time at the same high school. Um, and, yeah, really important for all children um, to mm -hmm. have teachers and, and people in their lives that are adults outside of their family that make sure that they don't fall through the cracks. You know, um, I definitely saw that in action in my school. I wish I would have seen it more, you know, but again, we really didn't have many native teachers in Detroit Lakes High School. I think it's gotten slightly better, but you know, um, it's really wonderful to see so much support for kids here too. Um, and so many more native teachers in classrooms because, you know, they, they understand things that other teachers don't, you know, like you're saying, like the need to smudge and, you know, making sure that the kids have food and just checking in with them in a way that other people won't be able to, you know? Well, just another thing too, me being brought up a, in a different way, you know, with a white family, not at first understanding why uh, my kids wouldn't give me eye contact, and and that's uh, in some in some nations that's a, a form of um, the opposite of respect. So you know to learn those things and to navigate around uh, other communities because it's not a pan Indian thing. We're all different, you know. We all mm -hmm. have a lot of the same beliefs, but we are very different. And I know. Uh, and hopefully you know that Ho-Chunk are the best, and I just have to uh, say that before the end of the show here. <laughs> oh, you slid that in there fast. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for agreeing and not arguing. We only got like uh, 40 seconds. Uh, how about those Ojibwe, huh? <laughs> Oh gosh! I'm not. Right no on. comment. No, I'm just kidding. Right on, hey, it's radio. <laughs> hey, right on. So, hey, Zoe, thanks for uh, doing all the work and behind the scenes and getting this all together and and being here and talking about uh, the news today. And also, I want to really give a big shout out to Sandy White Whitehawk for being on. Um, Peeny Gigi, you've been listening to Native Roots Radio presents. I'm awake. Be my way.